Welcome to What the F is Going On in Latin America and the Caribbean, a popular resistance broadcast of hot news out of the region. In partnership with Black Alliance for Peace Haiti Americas team, Code Pink, Common Frontiers, Council on Hemispheric Affairs, Friends of Latin America, Interreligious Task Force on Central America, Massachusetts Peace Action, and Task Force on the Americas, we broadcast Thursdays at 4.30 p.m. Pacific, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on YouTube Live, including channels for The Convo Couch, Popular Resistance, and Code Pink. Post-broadcast recordings can be found at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Telegram, RadIndieMedia.com, and now under podcasts at popularresistance.org. Today's episode, Peru, People Are Not Statistics. In today's episode, I want to share with you some of the key findings from the preliminary report of the human rights delegation that I participated on uh, earlier this month. So let me just start um, right in on, on, on the preliminary report findings. The International Mission of Solidarity and Human Rights arrived in Peru on February 7, 2023, and deployed the work in the territory until the 13th of the same month. Our main objectives were to survey situations of human rights violations in the context of the political and social crisis taking place in Peru, to elaborate a preliminary report that shows the immediate results of what was verified in the territory, to elaborate a final report, which in a meticulous manner makes visible the testimonies and denunciations at a national and international level. To contribute to the international articulation in defense, promotion, and protection of human rights throughout the region in order to mitigate the repressive actions of the current regime. This is the coup government that was installed December 7, 2022. And this was also our biggest ask as a delegation uh, through all um, cities that we visited was to break the Peruvian government narrative and to break the corporate media narrative, which all are both uh, articulating the right-wing narrative. And so we have been asked to get these stories out into the international community. So the testimonies gathered for the preliminary report reveal common features regarding the repressive actions of the armed and security forces throughout the territory, which show the systemic way in which the security forces and the armed forces of the current regime act, specifically the National Police of Peru. The political crisis unleashed as of December 7, 2022, resulted in the emergence of a combative impulse that had been brewing for some time on the basis of great social discontent. The protests began in the peripheries, particularly with the resource of roadblocks, which caused a supply crisis in the central cities and then moved to the center, particularly to the city of Lima. And we have done a couple WTF episodes specifically focused on, on Lima, and I will share those links um, in the program notes for you um, so you can review those conversations. Those who led the struggle and took over the public spaces, especially streets and highways, were the popular sectors, peasants, campesinos, indigenous communities from different regions, 
joined by the self-convened population of the capital city. These groups turned out to be the main target of the repressive actions of the state. And so where did we view uh, the repressive actions of the state? We split up into uh, small teams. I should first just let you know we were a delegation of 19, um, 18 Argentinians and me being the sole representative of the United States. Um, we broke into smaller teams and uh, went to uh, Ayacucho, Juliaca, Ica, Cusco, and Lima. I was uh, sent to Cusco. And over the course of the time we were in these five cities, we surveyed um, 147 cases. So what did those 147 cases um, include? We looked at, uh, we interviewed people uh, who were found guilty of being present or repressed, found guilty and or simply repressed. Well, I shouldn't say simply, it's quite violently repressed uh, because they were present at a mobilization. They were repressed for being in the vicinity of a mobilization and not being related to any organizational forms. No political party, no social movement, no labor movement, no compassino, nothing of the sort. Uh, they were repressed for participating in political, trade union, social, and student organizations, and also repressed for being a social and or political activist. And so now when we took these testimonies, we also did gather um, evidence. So each testimony does have photos and or videos if the person was hospitalized as a result of the repression, we have the hospital uh, forms, um, entry and admission, and, um, and in some cases, the people are still there. And then also, if they were incarcerated, illegally detained, arbitrarily detained, we do have the police records as well. So each case does come with evidence. Uh, not just an interview. So what is the current situation of these 147 people interviewed? 20 plus percent of the people are recovering at home. 19 plus percent are deceased. 16 plus percent continue to uh, live under threat and or coercion by police, by military, and by other right-wing forces, including political organizations. 16 plus percent, the person is injured and recovering at home. Nine plus percent, the person has been released after unlawful deprivation of liberty, which we would call in the state's unlawful detention. Nine plus percent ha uh, have been deprived of liberty regarding uh, criminal proceedings. Seven plus percent uh, remain hospitalized. So that's the overall uh, preliminary results. So let me tell you a little bit about what I personally uh, experienced in, in uh, putting these cases together. Again, I, I was sent to Cusco. We were a team of two. We spent two days, uh, two intense days, uh, interviewing uh, people who voluntarily came to the center that we were taking 
uh, testimony at, and I will reiterate, I think those of you who watched last week's episode, uh, we were working with um, the Human Rights Center in Cusco, and I will send their, um, their social media links so that you can find them. Uh, last week, we interviewed Laner, and I, and it would be great if you could take a second look at that at, at the comments that he made live from Cusco last week. So we again, we were a team of two. Much of what we saw and heard was of uh, repression committed by the National Police Force of Peru. And, and I want to um, I want to emphasize the National Police Force of Peru because this is a model that we are seeing across the Americas, that governments are using civilian police to repress civilian populations. They are not using the national military. And so this is often uh, perceived as okay by the international community and also because it is civilian uh, repressing civilian. But in the case of Peru today and in many other countries, including our own, I would add, what happens is that the police are right down at the, at the neighborhood level and can stop any political activity right there. And so the repression starts right at the community level. And, um, and that is why so many of these delegations in Southern Peru have been put together and, uh, and moved their, their protest to Lima, to the capital, you know, for a national audience. So again, I was in Cusco. This is in the Andean South of Peru, which is where most of the violent repression is occurring. The reason for that being is that that area is rich in natural resources, lithium, uh, water also, and other uh, rare earth minerals. And of course, the people that live in these regions are principally uh, indigenous, original peoples, as they say in Peru, we say indigenous in the States, and campesinos. So those are the targeted people uh, in those regions. Specifically, what we personally experienced in Cusco, as with most major cities in Peru, we were unable to enter the city center without proof of ID and or car registration and a police interrogation. Now keep in mind, for the two of us visiting Cusco, our logistics, lodging, meals, travel, transportation, and meetings were arranged by the district staff of Cusco's Congresswoman who invited the delegation and has since been brought up on ethics charges by the Peruvian Congress for doing so. So even being there by an official invitation uh, by Congress and being in this Congress's district and escorted in many cases by her staff, we were still prevented from entering the city center. We were still subject to uh, questioning and producing um, documentation for being there. Now, in addition to be, being prevented from entering the city center, police surround public gathering spaces, such as parks. They secure most public and government buildings, as well as airports and main traffic arteries. This was not unique to Cusco. 
those of us in the other four uh, cities experience much of the same. And I wanna share with you something specific uh, about the airport. Now we used um, the Lima airport. We took a domestic flight from Lima to Cusco and again, a domestic flight Cusco back, back to Lima. And this is what we experienced. You cannot enter the airport. Whoever has provided transportation for you to the airport has to drop you at curbside on the carretera. And on the sidewalk, you line up with all the other uh, travelers. And you, in order to enter the airport parking lot, you have to enter on foot. And then you have to show your ID to national police and or military, whoever's guarding the entrance. So you show your national ID, which in my case was my passport. And, uh, and you also have to show your boarding pass. And then you can enter the airport and walk to, to your departure terminal. And it was that was the case in Lima flying to Cusco. And again, it was the situation in Cusco uh, flying back to Lima. International arrivals are allowed to have uh, transportation come in to the arrival terminal and pick you up. They can't get out of the car. They can come pick you up and then leave. Um, for international departures, again, you are dropped curbside and have to walk in. So that is just one uh, example, one pretty stark example of how the military really, really, really uh, surveying who is coming and going. And, um, and again, it's not done with security. It's done with national police and or or military, so it's it's pretty um, it's intimidating, to say the least. So that was a, a very personal experience, and and also again not being able to enter the city center. And of course, this is this is nationwide city centers, parks, government buildings, public buildings, all secured by police. So, what I want to do in the next few minutes is show you. Um, a couple sets of photographs, and I want to start uh, with Cusco. With, uh, uh, a really terrific photographer, Manuel Ortiz, who um, who is a great uh, photojournalist on the ground in Peru right now, and he was uh, taking photos, uh, Juliaco to Cusco, and I want to start there because it will show you who exactly is being oppressed. It will show you the faces of, of the people actually being oppressed and repressed. And then I wanna go back to February 9, uh, which was a very large protest in Lima. And our delegation was asked to actually help sec secure protesters at that delegation. In other words, we were asked to show up and create a uh, line of defense between uh, the military and the protesters should the military uh, advance uh, and break up uh, the protest. So I want you to see the people of Southern Peru first, and then, uh, and then they are the ones forming these delegations going to Lima. And then we'll show you uh, in Marco Ciaris's photographs, um, 
what the police reaction is. So hopefully I can screen share properly. And um, let me get these up for you. I don't think I'm sharing. Oh, here we go. Okay. Here we go. So hopefully I did this correctly. <laughs> so this first photograph is uh, me and my compañero uh, Raul Juarez. We were the to Santa Cusco. This photograph was taken after uh, an Originals People's meeting we had in Cusco. Now, I will say this was a totally impromptu meeting. This family, the SAC, heard we were in town and came and uh, wanted to share uh, not just their current experience, but also uh, their history of a, an Originals people, their relationship with the earth and the precariousness that the entire earth and all of its peoples are in at this, at this moment. Uh, this meeting was probably one of the most profound meetings I've had in my 40 years of Latin America activism. And um, also I will add, it was a, it was a meeting held, uh, it was Quechua with Spanish translation, Spanish to Quechua. So uh, on a cultural level, it was a really profound experience. Uh, the, the, um, what these people are living with today is, is really uh, pretty um, horrifying. So let me show you more of Manuel's photos. And again, these are in Culiaca to Cusco. This is the southern part of Peru. These are beautiful photographs, and I just really want to uplift his work, but I really want all of you to see the demographic that is being repressed and repressed because they live on natural resources such as lithium, uh, water, and other rare earth uh, minerals. And again, these are uh, Manuel Ortiz's photos. I'll share with you in the program notes um, where you can find his work. Now here is a really great example of the roadblocks I had mentioned um, when first starting uh, this conversation with you. And you can see more clearly here and the plurinational flag, of course, that cannot be ignored. Not just the Peruvian national flag, but the plurinational flag is hugely important uh, to see as well. Okay, so this was Southern. Now, um, I wanna go back to February 9. And I want to show you uh, this March from February 9. I know this is in reverse, but um, this March on February 9 was, was in the evening. It was in Lima in the city center. Uh, again, we were asked to uh, help secure uh, the safety of, um, of, the, of the protesters should the military, national police uh, get 
Violent. This is a photograph of the 19 of us. <laughs> and this is the evening be before we went out. And here we are going to the center. This is what we saw on our way. Again, please notice it's Policia Nacional. Uh, more. We haven't even arrived at the march at, at the march yet. <laughs> And we're still seeing police. This is some of the equipment, the, the suppression equipment they use. And so here are the people gathering. And again, you know, please notice the demographic. And these are police uh, on the side. Here is a really great shot of, of the march. Now, um, again, these are Marco, Marco Sierras' photos. What I want you to notice in this photo is that it's a large crowd, it's not huge. And what began to happen, the police began to get closer and closer and closer to uh, the march as it got a little bigger and as it lasted a little longer. And this is a um, typical model throughout the Americas right now that the national police and the military only let, and I would say this is true in the States as well, marches, protests, political mobilizations are only allowed to get so large and they're only allowed to last so long regardless of how peaceful they are. And this was a peaceful gathering. It was really, uh, it was very, very inspiring. And, uh, and, um, and very, uh, and very emotional too, I will add. So, and the, here are more of us. Notice our blue vest, this is again, so that we're very clearly defined between the police and the protesters. Um, now you can see here how close the police uh, are getting. And I think I've got a photo in here that will really, this is uh, intelligence and security, uh, rooftop surveillance of the MARF. There's another wonderful woman from Southern Peru. Nueva Constitución, we did a uh, episode with you on February 2nd with uh, two fabulous uh, Peruvian, female Peruvian activists in which we talked at length about uh, the, new, uh, the desire for a new constitution. And again, I will share that particular episode link with you so you can review that if you want. Um, here's more of us more of the security and intelligence. This is a look from central Peru. You can see how people have been victimized for their political views. Now here's the national police advancing on the march. Again, um, it's people are only allowed to gather to a certain number and for a certain amount of time before 
a political event is broken up regardless of it being peaceful. Here's us forming a line of defense between the police and the, and, uh, the protesters in the back. And you'll see here, the police are starting to advance. And this is, I, I, I couldn't even, I don't even really remember, maybe 20 rows deep, maybe more. And so the purpose was just to advance and break up uh, the march and, and force everybody, you know, out of the out of the downtown central area. Now, on this street that we were asked to secure, the police marched very aggressively. Uh, they did have their batons, and you know, and did break up uh, the march. Around the block, the march was broken up with uh, live fire. And, uh, and tear gas. That did not take place on the street that our human rights delegation was on, but we did hear it. But that really aggressive repression takes place out of the view of human rights uh, workers and out of the media. And so, here, this is this photo gives you a really good uh, idea of how many. Now, keep in mind, these police are advancing on the march. These are not the police that we saw lining the streets as we were walking to the city center. These are not the police who were surrounding the parks and, and the government and public buildings. These police are in addition to what we passed on our way to the city center. And you can see there's more. So, um, so again, this is from uh, February 9th. Um, this was a peaceful protest that was created by delegations of, of people coming up from the southern uh, part of the country. Again, indigenous people, campesino students, academics. So anyway, sharing with you the work of two really fantastic photojournalists, uh, Manuel Ortiz, who is still there in Peru, and then Marcos Ciotas, who was um, our official delegation uh, media press for us and an official photographer. So everyone, that is the bulk of our preliminary report. And I really wanted to, to be sure to share with you the technicalities of what our delegation did. Um, we've had wonderful conversations with activists and I just uh, think it's important to see uh, the raw statistics of what, we, uh, of what we discovered. Again, every case we talk to is accompanied by, uh, by evidence and the final report uh, will be out in the next few weeks. Uh, so with that, I just, um, I just want to thank you for, for watching this short but important episode. Um, I will be, will be back next week with a full-length episode of w, what the F is going on in Latin America and the Caribbean. I should share with all of you that I will be at uh, a peace summit here in Mexico City uh, Thursday and Friday. And we'll have some great things to share with you. This is uh, 
The principal conversation will be focused on immigration reform, and it is a summit comprised of North Americans, Central Americans, and then we will have a day to interface with Mexican government officials before presenting uh, a report to uh, to the United States and hoping in hopes of uh, affecting some immigration reform on the northern side of the the border. Anyway, that's what I'm doing the next few days. I'll be happy to share that with you uh, next week. But um, thank you so much for watching this specific um, episode and um, and letting me share with you uh, some really, really important statistics of what was discovered um, on the human rights delegation I participated on earlier this month. Okay, everyone, just to remind you, you've been watching What the F is Going On in Latin America and the Caribbean. We are a popular resistance broadcast. You can find us on YouTube every Thursday evening, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, Convo Couch, Code Pink, and popular resistance YouTube channels and post-broadcast broadcast can be found on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So thanks again, folks. We'll see you next week.